welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week, SPAC Insider's founder Christy Marvin and I spoke with Richard Barlow, CEO of vehicle data analytics firm Weijo. Weijo announced a business combination with Virtuoso Acquisition Corp. in May. We talk about that process and how the SPAC transaction will serve in its expansion plans. Weijo has taken processes that had been, until recently, conducted with a clipboard and pen and scaled it to a data platform that can give real-time snapshots of millions of vehicles on the road at any given time. It aims to soon leverage this data to make it possible for automated cars to sort themselves into parking spots and pay their own tickets, and perhaps even plug themselves into chargers. Take a listen. Just to get us started, Richard, could you just walk us through Weijo at the high level and how does its technology work? Yes, yeah, so I, I I founded and started Weijo in 2014. Uh, Weijo to me means we journey. And it's this idea that we provide a platform where we take live data from what's known as connected vehicles. And we provide a platform to deliver insights back to most manufacturers where the industry term is OEMs. But we also provide data to smart cities on movements of traffic. We help logistics companies improve improve delivery times for parcels. We've, we've got almost an infinite number of use cases around, around the value of connected vehicle data. So you mentioned those use cases. Could you be a little more specific? Like what are smart cities doing with your platform from the nuts and bolts view? So we so we've got a um, we've got a live pool of, of vehicles on platform. We have over eleven million vehicles live on platform, and in and in, and in the subset of those vehicles, we see, for example, hundreds of thousands of electric vehicles. Um, so we're helping smart smart cities know where to install chargers. Where we're helping smart cities understand about uh, the direction of traffic, understand where congestion is building up, uh, understanding about emissions of vehicles understanding about where there's uh, poor safety on roads and where, and where roads should be reconfigured. So there's, there's numerous use cases that we're now, we're now working with cities, governor's offices, departments of transport, to name a few. Have, have you actually had any real world examples of Weijo in action that maybe you can, um, just to help give you know, listeners a little bit better context on, on how Weijo works? Yes, yeah, so we're working with the, um, the South Carolina governor's office, and we advised during a lockdown on flows of traffic. So how were people responding to, 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 to request to stay at home during COVID? Uh, that was a use case earlier this year. We work with multiple DOTs on the flows of traffic. We work with uh, North NC dot North Carolina Department of Transport. We work with we work we work with with Texas, and we worked with them during the um, the severe weather storms earlier this year. Um, so what, what, what we're building is a, a, a scaling cadence of DOT saying, hey, we've never seen live flows of traffic before in such a granular fashion. You know, we, we can pinpoint a vehicle to three meter accuracy. So we can say, you know, we see 7% of vehicles moving in New York. We can pinpoint what they're doing. We can understand the trends. We can understand where, where congestion is building up, where crashes are occurring. Actually, what one, one of the big use cases has been we're seeing temporary construction work. We're actually advising the DOTs to change their signage to help help redirect the other flows of traffic to avoid avoid this temporary construction work on the road. That's interesting. Um, and sort of like pulling on that thread, what is the future market you think for connected vehicle data? Well, so one one of our future examples is already live in Korea, where we have vehicles uh, scanning the road scanning parking lots and we've actually machine learned how to identify multi-story parking lots and we've we built a methodology where, where we can scan parking availability so we have hundreds of thousands of vehicles moving around 
picking up live data, scanning parking availability, those insights have been shared and then we're, and then they're then shared with other vehicles to help them park quicker, which then reduces emissions, improves safety on roads. So, and in terms of the, the sort of future aspect of that, the next stage for that, that project is, is autonomous vehicles, where sooner, sooner rather than later, you'll be able to get out of your autonomous vehicle, instruct your vehicle to park, another vehicle in the area will share parking availability, so your AV will drive off, go to that, go to that informed parking space, if there's payments required for the parking, if there's tolling required, then the vehicle can do can, can make a frictionless payment. So it's, you know, it's really exciting to think that you know soon you will be able to just leave your vehicle and your vehicle will be able to actually look after itself. You know, look after that payment, look after look after the parking, and when you're ready, your vehicle can come and find you, and then it will share back in the pool that parking space that the vehicle's then left. Another follow-up question to that, though, but is the dependence um, based on you know the car manufacturers, uh, including the Weijo device themselves, or is it like completely unconnected to that? No, so this, we, we, are, we are a pure software and data company. Um, the majority of motor manufacturers in the world have now committed to have to, to, to sell vehicles with connectivity already embedded in the car. So we don't, we, we're not an aftermarket provider. We're not supplying hardware. We're not fitting hardware behind the dash of the car. Most manufacturers have fitted this hardware at the point of manufacture. So the vast majority of cars sold in the US or vehicles sold in the US have this connectivity built in. Um, the same applies in, in, in Asia, the same applies in Europe. What we've built is we built a platform to take live data from these, from these vehicles that, that, that have a connectivity demand or connectivity requirement. You've mentioned that many of your customers are municipalities. Before there were so many connected cars on the road, what were these cities and private customers using to get this data? What, what is the alternative? Yeah, so the alternative for is mobile data, which has a poorer accuracy, but also then just, just a physical sort of, you know, there, there could well be someone on, on with a clipboard and a clicker counting traffic. Um, or you'll see, you may all see strips on the road. Uh, each of those strips on the road has a lifetime cost of $35,000. Uh, the cost of someone sat with a clipboard is, 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 is high, whereas a vehicle, the, the costs are, 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 are de minimis for the motor manufacturer to have that, that data to be collected. We've then provided a platform that identifies those, those key value points in the data. And so how does your revenue model scale? Is it primarily tiered to the size and overall number of clients? Or will your revenues also scale proportionally as you get more cars connected to your platform? So our, our service addressable market is $61 billion, and that's split in two. Um, so $30 billion is attributable to, to monetization of data with consent of the driver, with, with full compliance uh, around how that data is shared. And there are, there are over 200 defined marketplaces where we can present data to third parties with consent of the driver, with consent of the OEM, and we monetize the data. We track the unit economics per marketplace. So we monetize in map, mapping, for example, and we supply some of the top, some of the top five mapping providers with, with live data now. We supply data to logistics companies to improve, improve delivery times. We supply data to DOTs. And we typically rev share 65% of gross sales back to the OEM who supplied us the data. And that's a scaling business. Uh, that, that's, how, that's, how, that's how I started Weijo seven years ago. And that's been hugely successful in the markets we're in. On the other side, we, uh, which, which is another $30 billion addressable market, is, is this provision of software as a service. But it's, it's a much broader play than, than just and just platforms or visualizations. It's this ability to provide a live data platform for motor manufacturers, for OEMs, 
to present data to that platform. And then they can then use that platform to, to develop products such as the parking example I gave you before. But as another example, we have an OEM saying, hey, we have 430 departments within our organization. We'd like to share insights with a number of those departments. Can we use your platform to redistribute data internally, but not just the raw data out, but actually the created data, just the, the key insights that have value for those, for those respective departments? Just looking at your financials, um, your projected growth is tremendous, uh, to say the least. Walk us through exactly how do you plan to scale the business to achieve those projections? Um, meaning walk us through the bridge from 2022 to uh, 2025 revenue. Yeah, so we, we have three, three sides to our business. Um, we have scaling vehicles coming to platform. We have scaling unit economics per, per marketplace. And we have scaling subscriptions on our software as a service. So if we take the monetization side of the business, the marketplace side of business first, if our unit economics were flat per marketplace, by simply scaling more live vehicles on platform, that would still scale our revenues. But actually, our unit economics are scaling per marketplace. So for example, our, our, our unit economics per vehicle per year last year were 40 cents per vehicle. Um, this year, the average will be 70 cents, but actually we'll, we'll close the year more like a dollar per vehicle per year. Um, and we're actually going to be more than $11 per vehicle per year by 2025. We've got that side of the business. We've also got scalar vehicles. So this year we, 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 we'll end the year by having about 14 million vehicles live on platform. We've actually got over 11.3 million vehicles live now, but we've got great visibility about which OEMs are going to contribute more live vehicles on platform this year. We then scale to over 30 million vehicles by next year. Uh, by 2025, we estimate to have over 120 million vehicles live on platform. And we've got visibility of more than 65% of that 120 million. So by vehicles scaling and by the economics improving per marketplace, that gives us great visibility and it will help other people understand how we're scaling as a business. That's that side of the business. So we're, we're and, and, and in terms of how, we, how we'll be reporting in our, in our 10Qs and our 10Ks, we'll be disclosing live vehicles on platform. We'll, we'll be disclosing our unit economics per marketplace. So people can, can take their own view about the scale effect of our business. So that's one side. And then the other side is, is, our, is our SaaS business. And that's where, we, that's where we're already showing scaling, scaling demand from OEMs who are paying a subscription fees and they pay transaction fees. They pay transaction fees on a live, on a per live vehicle basis. So again, if vehicles are scaling on platform, which they are day in, day out, then that, that drives our revenues up. Then, but then we also charge subscriptions for more and more product demand. And what you'll see this year is, 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 a, is a number of uh, announcements from our partnerships with the likes of Palantir, from our partnerships with the likes of Microsoft, where we're building joint collaborations with incredible companies like that, where they'll be offering those joint products back to OEMs and charging subscription fees. So Richard, um, just you know, on following on that uh, scaling of your annual revenue, um, let, let's talk about those steps. What are each of the value adds that you can bring to bump up your revenue per connected car? Uh, meaning how many, of, how many of those are achievable organically and how much could you add through features brought in via M&A? So we've now got um, within Wejo, uh, we have experts in insurance, in dealer, in fleet, in, in, in entertainment and in traffic management. Uh, we also have an incredible data division that's much broader than connected vehicle data. So the, the key uh, anchors of our business of de delivering robust scale in insurance in Japan, for example, we have a partnership with Sompo. We have people working for WeJo full-time in Japan. We are delivering an insurance product out there. 
Um, we have expertise now in the US where we're scaling insurance. We have expertise for remote diagnostics in both Europe and America. So principally, we don't need to do any acquisitions to deliver this incremental unit economic growth per vehicle. So in terms of um, tracking and forecasting how we're going to deliver our scale of revenues, we have visibility of up to 65% of all our, of all our vehicles scaled to 2025 in terms of the ingress of data from multiple OEM partners already contracted. And we've got visibility of over 200 partner interviews where we are in, in multiple markets that, that we forecast. So we, we have visibility of how we can deliver our remote diagnostics, our fleet, our insurance, our scale traffic management and our advertising marketplaces. Acquisition will help. Acquisition will mitigate some risk in certain new markets. There's a fundamental difference between in launching insurance in Japan than there is in launching insurance, say, in Europe or the US. So certain strategic acquisitions could be interesting to help to help do that. But fundamentally, we, we've got the building blocks within Weijo already. Okay, great. And what are you seeing in terms of the turnover in the stock of active vehicles on the road? How fast will we see connected cars take additional market share? So at the moment, the total connected vehicles are 12, 13% now uh, by the end of this year. And that's taken into account that there's, uh, there's, there's been a slightly low number of connected vehicles with the current uh, shortage of, of, um, of semiconductors. But we expect the overall compounding growth to be about 3%, 2 3% uh, per annum over the next 10 years. Um, so the sort of, you know, and, and, and it's not just sort of new cars being added. There's also the existing car park out there that can be connected. So, you know, we've got, we've got vehicles live on platform that were built in 2014, uh, for example. So there's a live pool of, you know, what they call the global car park. Uh, vehicles that can be activated and are being activated onto WeJo's platform. And then as new cars being sold, that gives you that sort of scale from 11% of the global car park being connected now to 40% of the global car park by 2030, and WeJo being more than 60% of that 40% by 2030. You mentioned the chip shortage there. I mean, that's been a hot topic this year and a factor driving a lot of SPAC deals. How does it specifically affect your edge of the market? So um, the OEMs have given us schedules to 20 to 2025 of how they expect to onboard vehicles. Uh, that's a combination of new cars sold and also vehicles already out in the field that, that just needs to be activated. It will have no bearing on our vehicle activations next year, where we're forecasting 30 million live vehicles on platform, which more than which which will near enough triple our live vehicles on platform today, uh, and will more and more than triple the number of data points coming onto platform. Into 2023, um, if the sh- if the chip shortage continue, there'd be a slight effect, but not but not but not a marked effect. Weijo appears to be working very closely with a large ecosystem of players as it does its business. How are you collaborating with them, and how do those relationships impact the richness of your data? Yeah, I mean the data we've been offered by OEMs. Um, that there, there are, you know, I, I, an analyst asked me the other day. He said he said how how many ideas a, a day do you get for the data? And, and he, he knew the answer before, before he posed the question. And that's the point is that, you know, we're getting over 150 sensors per vehicle. So the, so the, you know, you, you can say, well, so, you know, we're getting engine temperature, we get suspension movements, we, we get powertrain performance. And the idea of having this live data set, you know, we're seeing parts fail in real time in vehicles. So you can have hundreds of ideas a day. So we, we look to build a strong partner ecosystem so we can leverage relationships they've already built so for example with palantir you know they they've already got a great ecosystem in uh, automotive erp uh, and insurance risk management 
So for me, should I be spending the dollars that we're raising for this capital exercise to for, for us to sort of reinvent the wheel? Or should we leverage our partners like Pounds who've already we've already integrated into the insurers? or leverage the ERP systems that Palantir have already integrated into. So Palantir is a great example of a partnership where you know they, they've already done the hard work, so to speak, and we could just leverage it. We've just announced a partnership with uh, Esri, who are a billion dollar uh, GIS business. You know They've got hundreds of thousands of developers who, who are coming up with interesting sort of uh, mapping outcomes. So again, you know, what for us to rebuild a 200,000 developer community would be a, a huge task. Whereas Esri are incredible at doing that and we're, we're super proud of the relationships we're building. So partnerships are incredibly important to us as a business. Uh, Richard, so in- investors are probably likely to draw parallels between uh, Weijo and uh, Odonoma, which is another vehicle data firm, which recently went public with Software Acquisition Corp 2 this year. Um, how would you say your two companies compare and differ in terms of your business model and your product offerings? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the raw statistics, you know, we we process 16 billion data points uh, a day. You know, we process 400,000 data points a second. Um, I don't believe uh, Autonomo are anywhere near that 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 level of data in. And in terms of the transparency as a business, um, you know, we will be showing, and we've shown in our in our S4, we've shown in our 8K about how having live vehicles on platform drives the unit economics of the business. Um, but then, but ultimately, Weijo's ability to collect and aggregate data in, in, is superior in every way. Weijo is the only company to source data directly from OEM's integrated sensors, giving us our own true proprietary data set. You know, there is no standard in industry. You know, we're becoming the standard. You know, we're becoming the standard in the automotive market. And Weijo's cloud-based data exchange platform offers integration options on all sides of the exchanges, you know, which is reflects from partnerships such as we built with Magna, with Heller. Again, that's not something that our competition is offering to do. Um, and then in terms of consent and our, our, our anonymization framework, you know, we've pioneered data for good as, as a mantra in the business. We've been doing this for seven years. You know, we, every one of the 400,000 data points a second we process, we check the consent to that data point. Again, unique to Ejo. You know, when we don't buy third-party data assets in, we don't buy, we won't buy mobile data in, we won't buy, buy dongle data in as a way of driving our data volumes up. We are a pure play provider, which means that we can also guarantee the uh, the origination where the data come from, which is why we're being chosen by incredible mapping partners and and DOTs, again, which is unique to Weijo's proposition. And to that point, how does Weijo protect sensitive user data and ensure privacy right now? I mean, there's a lot of skepticism from customers on these issues, particularly when you're dealing with so many partners. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on a practical basis, we have over 900 documented procedures about how we look after data. Um, we have stronger commercial relationships with OEMs where where information security is incredibly important. So we, we have, you know, in Europe, there's uh, something called TISAX, which we, which we adhere to. In the US, there's various TIPSA agreements, but ultimately it's how we look after data. We're ISO 27001 approved. We are going through 27005 at the moment. We know how to look after data. We, we show it day in, day out, a robust methodology around protecting data. And the DNA within Weijo, you know, as I said, at the start of this, um, this podcast, now, Weijo means to me we journey, and it's this idea that there is journey data. There's huge value to it, but we must protect it. We must we must defend that data, and that that again is unique to Weijo's proposition in industry. So I'm going to ask you a few SPAC questions. Maybe how did Weijo decide on a SPAC listing, say versus a traditional IPO? What was the thought process around that? So we 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 went through uh, various considerations. Um, we uh, I mean historically we'd raised over 150 million dollars from the private markets. 
we, we went through a consideration of should we do an IPO in the London market? Um, should we do a, an I, um, a SPAC in the US market or should we or should we go down the private equity route? Um, we had some interesting offers. We had some interesting conversations. But actually, um, in terms of the, uh, the next stages of growth from, from OEMs, you know, what the issues we had was that OEMs want us to be live now with established bases in the whole of APAC, not just Korea and Japan, but, the whole, but, in, but in China, for example. We've got OEMs who want us to be live in 14 European countries. We've got OEMs who've got, who've got demand in LATAM. And all those demands require um, considerable OPEX. And all those led us to the route of actually uh, going through a, a SPAC process was, was, the, was the right decision for all stakeholders within Weijo. We've had great support from our, from our existing investors, including General Motors, to go down this route as well. So it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting debate we went through and we're really happy with the outcome we've got and the great partner in Virtuoso, are the SPAC where we'll be completing our merger to shortly. Yeah, so that was actually my follow-up question to that. Uh, why Virtuoso? Because I, I imagine you were probably being courted by multiple specs. <laughs> so yeah, we, we... Uh, given that there are relatively few listed players with a data platform as uh, vehicle-focused as yours, um, what do you think the advantages are for a public listing and, and what will that bring? Um, meaning, how do, you, how do you aim to take advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, in in, in our in our uh, in our eight K and our S four, we, uh, we 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 gave an overview of our strategy, and it's not just organic growth. Um, we're also very much focused on M and A as well. Uh, we felt going to public markets gave us the the capital, so to speak, to actually do some interesting acquisitions. Uh, we we are appraising number of businesses at the moment. We we're we're not yet decided if we'll be doing anything this year or next year, but certainly part of our strategy will be to use. Uh, this public capital to be able to do some interesting acquisitions, to be able to deliver on the OEM's demands, where we have OEMs who want us to be live in all six continents. They want us to launch quicker insurance, on, for example, on a global basis, to launch remote diagnostics. And remote diagnostics, as another example, is fundamentally different between the Europe's approach to right to repair and the, US, the US's approach to the Massachusetts right to repair. So having that capital where we can do interesting acquisitions, we can do it and we, and we can also do interesting organic scale. That's, that's the reason that drove us to, to go through this, uh, this process of coming to public markets. Great. I definitely want to talk about some of those M&A opportunities in a bit. But earlier we mentioned Autonomo and there are private actors in this field as well. How did you approach the valuation discussion with Virtuoso in terms of balancing the valuations of competitors uh, versus your own internal metrics? So I've built a really strong relationship with um, the founding partner and CEO of Virtuoso, a gentleman called Jeff, uh, Jeff Warshaw. And uh, he taught me through the process he went through of, of choosing a SPAC. In fact, I've, I've, I've seen him talking to some of his trusts uh, where he said he, he'd, be, he'd be doing a deal quickly. Well, we, we know he was considering a, another deal before he came to meet Weijo. And we were talking to other SPACs. And there was meeting minds between, you know, the, the, the incredible experience that Jeff's got as an operating partner uh, and the incredible support he's got from, um, from, from his trust members. So, um, so Virtuoso had considered a number of differing, uh, differing SPACs out there, uh, not, just in the, uh, not just in the data space, but also in the ad tech space. So, and in connection to the valuation uh, of Weijo, Virtuoso's management and the board of Virtuoso reviewed certain transformation of selected publicly traded companies that were chosen based on professional judgment and expertise of its management in consultation with members of the Virtuoso board. So, you know, they, they considered our forecasts, they considered other forecasts out in the market, 
we felt our valuation was uh, was was uh, potentially undervalued compared to some of our peers, but but was right for where the market was at that at that moment in time. It'd been very easy for us to uh, you know to to choose the highest offer. Uh, there's lots of facets to to discuss. Virtuoso are great operators um, in terms of uh, Jeff Warshaw and Sam uh, Sam Handel. Sam uh, is a co-founder of Data Miner, and they've just completed a, uh, a, a private raising um, value in that business at $4 billion. Um, so, and Sam's proven himself to be an incredible data operator in the data space. And then Jeff's experience of, of M&A, his experience in the media, media sector, uh, we, uh, it became a perfect sort of partnership. Um, Jeff and I spent three days, three days together last week, actually in the UK, um, just sort of talking through and planning through about, about what, what we'll be doing next. Uh, with Ouija when we complete this um, this relisting, so a great partner. Right, right. And so, final question um, around uh, the SPAC aspect of it: um, Do you have a sense of timing yet around the shareholder vote? I know you're currently in the proxy process, but maybe if you could give listeners uh, some sort of sense of where you are in that process. So uh, we we uh, you'll have seen we've um, we published the S four. Uh, we're now going through that process. It's very difficult to determine when that process will complete. You can't predict um, how many how many questions you may get from the STC, but um, but we expect to complete at some point uh, at the end of this year. Great. So getting back to M and A, could you just walk us through what some of those opportunities look like? Are you seeing other data shops whose teams you'd want to tack on, or are you see some vertical integration plays up and down the value chain? Yeah, and, and and exactly that. You know, we, we're tasked with OEMs, and we have we we something else that's unique to Wejo's. We have something called preferred partner status with OEMs, where we have degrees of exclusivity in a defined market, other than if the OEM, sorry, motor manufacturer, has existing commercial relationships in place. Well, we can't possibly be experts in insurance, in fleet, in remote diagnostics, in recovery. You know, let's let's just be realistic about this. Um, you know, so we you know do build a strong a strong understanding internally, but if we can then work with partners, if we can then work through about great businesses that would help us vertically integrate or bring forward um, for more marketplaces for, for OEMs, and then, 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 that, then that's driving our M&A strategy. And among those partners, you mentioned you've been partnering with General Motors for quite some time. How have those relationships developed over time and as their own needs have changed? Yeah, I mean, so I founded Weijo in 2014, and in fact, that was the first year that, that that we that we started building relationship with General Motors. But they weren't the only OEM. Uh, back then was the first year we met Fiat Chrysler, FCA, now known as Stellantis. Uh, we started building relationship with Volkswagen in the US. Um, so GM is an important partner to us, but but we parallel run building relationships with numerous. OEMs, uh, you'll note we have relationships with over 17 OEMs and tier one partners. How the relationship with GM has evolved over the time is that you know, to start with, we were there and we are their preferred partner platform for the uh, monetization of compliant data to, to numerous third parties in, uh, in, in, in these exclusive marketplaces. But beyond that, now we're working with them in, in a number of fields. Uh, you'll note in, in our S4 that we refer to SaaS products. And I'm sure we'll be making announcements later this year, next year, about a number of OEMs that we're building SaaS platforms for. Are you finding that they were maybe asking for data for one thing, but that those asks have changed and developed? No, I mean, I mean, what, what's happened is we, we, we've built a great cadence with GM and we've, built, we've got a great cadence with all our OEM partners where we've shown the power of processing over 400,000 data points a second in near real time. 
and showing incredible sort of outcomes. So, you know, e- even the last 24 hours, uh, you may well have seen a number of OEMs offering hurricane support. Uh, we're also providing hurricane support. We're, we're providing research data back to departments of transport, back to governor's office to understand about what's going on here and now. And that's the beauty of the data we collect. You know, we don't just collect live location data and how we see 7% of vehicles in New York, for example, but knowing live weather, knowing the severity of rain, knowing, knowing humidity, knowing how vehicles are performing, knowing if EVs are having issues recharging, if, if there's a power outage, really powerful data that is relevant in multiple industries. You noted how M&A could be used as a play to get some greater depth in insurance. Do you see ways in which M&A could be used as a territorial play to expand your coverage too? Well, the the challenge with insurance is that, is that to date, insurance that's sort of been, um, you know, the, the pricing has been determined by, by telematics data historically, which is say dongle derived or, or black box derived or mobile derived. It's quite limiting. Uh, it's limiting in terms that it tends to be um, commercially viable around high risk drivers or high premiums. So DUIs, older drivers, um, subprime areas of, um, of, 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 of where the vehicles are, are located. Um, that doesn't reflect the, the, the underwriting profile, the risk profile of a typical owner or driver of a connected vehicle. So there's a big mismatch. So we, we refer to UBI um, because uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's a helpful catch-all around what, around, around what telematics drive insurance is, but actually we're, we're, we're much more than just scoring driving to reduce premium. Um, simply put, you know, we're, we're looking to provide insurance to premiums of, say, $600, whereas uh, UBI insurance is typically more than double that. So if you're looking at a premium where it's only $600, then there's, there's, there's other areas you need to focus on. So for example, we're focused on claims leakage where we want to reduce claims costs from between eight and 12%. That's a fundamental significant saving to insurer, which is, mu- which is much more uh, con- uh, profitable for the carrier or insurer than it is just purely focusing on the UBI um, product. So we're working with our insurance partners around an end-to-end solution where we can grade certain insurers if the driver gives consent, but actually even if the driver doesn't want to have their, their driving scored, uh, we can still find significant cost settings from the likes of claims leakage and other areas of the insurance process. Richard, um, one final question for you, and it's sort of a, just a fun one to close it, but what, what is the origination story of Weijo? How did, how did you uh, start the company? So my, my background is data trading. Um, I previously um, exited a, uh, a substantial data trading organization in the UK and I was taking some time out. I was going to take two years out. And then after two weeks, I decided that, uh, that I needed to do something new. Um, I've got a passion for motorsport. Uh, and, and, and I realized that actually telemetry and motorsport um, was going was gonna to come into more mainstream vehicles. Um, so the, the sort of that, the small idea in 2014, I decided to approach the industry and start saying, you know, you need a platform to receive your data. Actually, one of the partnerships we're, we're, I'm really proud of is, is Cosworth, who, who provide telemetry in NASCAR, in Indy, in Formula One, in Formula E, in various motorsports, you know, and, and we're, 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 we're about to announce a, a product with them where, where we've brought some of that learnings back to the OEMs again, where, where, where we're going to be reducing the overhead of data, for example. So it's, it's, it's come full, full circle from how we started and, and, and how we're now scaling as a business. Thanks. Yeah, it's always fun uh, hearing how 
have these businesses, these uh, wonderful businesses as they've, you know, we usually get to meet them a little bit later in the stage, but it's always fun to hear how they actually started. So um, really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us today, Richard, and um, hope to be talking with you again soon. Thank you for your time. Thank you.